Hello, my friends. This is Glenda Taylor. Welcome to this podcast. Over the years, as many of you know, I have spoken and written and lectured and given workshops and retreats and one thing and another on a subject that's dear to my heart and I think important in our time and in our culture. As women in my lifetime have had the opportunity, have gained the opportunity, have seized the opportunity to participate more fully in the public sphere and to have more equitable power in working for that in my own life and for women in general. Way back in the 1960s, I started looking into the ancient history of this subject. Mainly, I had to look in art books because the written history, well, the history wasn't even written down when the oldest version of her story, as it's sometimes called instead of history, his story, her story was carved and painted on cave walls and so forth as a reverence to Mother Earth and Mother Nature, that over a period of perhaps a couple of hundred thousand years was a dominant form of spiritual life in many ways and lasted so until around 10,000 B.C., many people estimate, when a change occurred and perhaps the status of women changed with it Perhaps the status of women being associated with Mother Earth and Mother Nature had given them a certain place in the cultural life that was lost with the domestication of animals and plants so that human beings were not so much at the mercy of Mother Nature as they had been before. All of that has felt really important to me through the years, as many of you know. And as I collected images and gave talks, and did all the things that I did. I also wrote a few poems. So today I've decided just to read you two or three poems for my own pleasure, and I hope for years on this subject. Sometimes I think that poetry, art, music has more effect upon us than (laughs) being lectured about things ever does. So With that in mind, I'm going to read you a couple of poems. This is something that I wrote called The Remembering. By the time the Sumerians wrote it down in 5000 B.C., the Sumerians you know who invented writing and thus ushered in history, it was already paternalized. We learn nothing of her from history. Oshur, in Sumer, great Namu, grandmother goddess, still ruled the all-encompassing cosmic sea, and mother Key was still Earth, and there was still Inanna, queen of heaven, and lady Erishkegel and Kerr still ruled the underworld, but the all-mother universe was already sundered, splintered, rent in two, and two thousand was the universal one, the whole she eternal who had ruled alone the human scene for hundreds of thousands of years before great mother goddess mother nature hulking in stone carved in cave whittled in bone 
painted in red ochre, invoked in grave, flex knees and mother womb. She of birth and death and eternal life had been deity personified for 200,000 years or more before she produced finally in the human mind a male offspring reason who in Sumer conspired to do her in. Her son, the son, became the only, the jealous god, male god, and forced us to forget the all-mother one, divided now into duality, trinity, a hundred thousand separate lonely selves. Can we yet remember, ah, remember, before Sumer, who she was, the undivided one, that we may know who we yet may be, inheritors of infinity. Lament of the Earth Mother Cave that I am, pebbled womb hollowed in the dark mountain. Cavern of emptiness surrounded by this hard mountain. Cave that I am, full of darkened scent and water drops, convoluted interior space. Cave that I am. How often was I visited long ago by that God who called himself man? How often did his torches lick up my blackness? How often did his coming steps scatter my silence? How often did he sleep with me, dreaming against my mountain walls on which he carved signs of his love for me? And waking did he not sing joy for the dreams he dreamed in me? And did he not dance slowly round the fires he built in me, dance with stately step the ritual marriage dance by which I was quickened of his love and from his desire brought forth abundant life? Cave that I am still, though he's been gone ten thousand years, I wait for him, that God who called himself man. I wait for his return when he will enter me again with his reverent, ardent love. And once again, I will open out for him my hollowed space into the void of silence in which sings the creative cosmic song beyond the sound of words cave that I am, I wait for him, that God who called himself man. Getting tired of hearing pronouncements about what the archetypal feminine was or wasn't or what females were or weren't or could or could not be. I wrote this poem one day. Uh, the title of it is Neth the name of an ancient goddess in uh, Egypt. This is my voice. You, man, look carefully at the eyes of woman when you make your statements about femininity. You may see opacity, reserve, guardedness, 
She may have learned through time cautiously to draw the veil, to hide true reaction to being thus defined. But look carefully, you man-male otherness, and you will see stern reaction there behind her eyes. Hundreds of thousands of years and more, she's watched you man as you come and go, birthed you and couched you and buried you and allowed you to be. Mother Earth lurks there. Beware behind the eyes of any woman addressed by you and defined so smugly in careful definitive tones, patriarchal, reasonable, psychologically sound. But watch, all unheard, Kali, Erish Kegel, Inanna, Willendorf and Ma move massively behind the eyes of any slender reed of woman you would define. She smiles and nods, seeming to concede. Indeed, indeed. Is it not motherhood's pleasure ever to indulge the wishful fancies of the ever young? But beware, remember ancient Neth in whose temple a muted tongue full paralyzed rewards the callow youth who would define the goddess unspeakable. Even old Plutarch knew her temple walls that said it plain. I am all that was or is or yet may be. No man has lifted the veil that covers me. In my little book of poems, <laughs> the poem that follows that one is called On Guard. And I must have been accused by one of my psychology friends of uh, being possessed by some feminine archetype when I wrote this poem. Because it begins, I am innocent. I am innocent of this deed of which I stand accused. Project nonsense. Who me? Clear-headed, far-seeing, deep-thinking me? Vulnerable, you say, to a fantasy, to a wispy dream? Nonsense, nonsense. I am in control here, miss. Nothing can happen here amiss. Do you hear me, miss? What? What? An irrational side? Possession unawares? Pan Dionysos? Aphrodite, God forbid. I'd die first. I would die first. Die Die. Die. <laughs> been possessed by Aphrodite a few times in my life, let us say. So here's a poem to Aphrodite. <laughs> Slowly, carefully, she begins to move, be stirred beyond the point of stillness. Slowly, gingerly, she raises one foot and points heel and toe and steps silently. Slowly, carefully, one hand gracefully rises, one arm arches overhead, as slowly, gracefully, she begins to move in delicate, patterned, archetypal flow. Slowly, rhythmically, she begins to dance, the ancient dance of creation's song. 
Silently, breathlessly, I watch her come to life and begin her dance within myself as faster now she spins and whirls, gaining momentum as she twirls, shaking me faster, faster now with flashing eyes and laughing spin. I am unfurled alive again. Blindly, madly, she cascades within as pulsing beat and brazen drum finally shatter calm Aphrodite Ishtar and by all your names I am your dance again again free fall free fall fully conscious with it all in utter joy forgetting pain to your domain sacred force no more profane saturate with life I honor your name holy one holy one Holy One, Holy One, Aphrodite. (laughs) I'll close with one more. This poem came to me in Encinitas, California, on the bluff overlooking was the ashram of Yogananda's uh, retreat center. As I was sitting on the shore, the ocean, just at the edge of the water, and there at my feet, washed by the waves of the ocean coming in, were these large stones carved by the waves of the ocean. And all of this caused me to feel in ways that were very powerful uh, what the archetypal feminine is like for me. So here are my words. It's called Hollowed Sea Stones. Rounded Mother Stone hollowed by the sea, shaped to vessel rock by the touch of the softening sea, to orifice, edifice of grace, amidst the crashing tide of change, eternal whistle the wind plays through, primordial strength intact in the yielding up, energy transformation, the all that is, as you slowly, slowly wear away and become other than you are, yet indestructible, the eternal energy that momentarily hides so solidly in you as matter, however hollowed, grace-giving vision of nuclear fission, mother rock, mother rock. So that's just some of the ways, some of the ways, the many, many ways that I've thought about the archetypal feminine. Some of those ways you will find on this website in prose and pictures and and courses and lectures and various other things, both now and some of the ones that will be appearing in the future. But it's been wonderful to be able to share my voice with you in this little podcast. Next time it'll be something completely different. So join me again here at oneandallwisdom.com. This is Glenda Taylor. Mm-hmm.